Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year, and this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Hello, I'm Suzette Smith, and I'm a guest host here on Mormon Discussions. Last week... I uh, was at the Exponent Retreat in New Hampshire with uh, about 150 women, and I was asked to give my spiritual autobiography. It is traditional to, on Sunday mornings, uh, for two people to be asked to give uh, what they call a spiritual autobiography. And this is uh, a way to share a spiritual story, a spiritual journey. So I was really excited to be asked this year to do this. And uh, interestingly enough, I am grateful to Exponent for giving me a chance to do a little preaching. In the 11th grade, I took an aptitude test, um, as many people do in the 11th grade. And my number one slot that came out of that test was clergy. And at the time, when I was 17, I thought that was kind of crazy. I mean, Mormons don't have clergy. and Why would I get number one clergy? Anyway, many years later, when I read the, the when I read the book Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, I thought, man, I just want to be a preacher in a small town. And then that aptitude test came back to me, and I realized maybe I should just be a preacher. Anyway, there's not a lot of opportunities to be a preacher in the Mormon faith, so I love any chance I can get to share spiritual experiences and stories, etc. So I'm really Glad that the Exponent Ladies asked me to do this. So what I thought I'd do tonight is just uh, read to you, or basically re-speak, the speech that I gave um, last Sunday morning while I was at the Exponent Retreat. I started off my talk by um, remembering another talk that was given by Heather Sundahl, who is the current president of Exponent. She gave a speech at a women's conference a few years ago called The Stories We Tell, and I really loved it and got a copy of it, and I've read it over many times, and Heather uh, says in her speech, my goal this morning is to convince you of the power of stories, especially our own stories. Number one, stories matter to us as families, as faith communities, and as individuals. Number two, When stories don't work for us, we suffer. And number three, we have the power to change our stories and through Christ find new beginnings and happy endings. Heather then goes on to talk about a study that was done at Emory University about stories. And their conclusions were this. The simple most important thing that you can do for your family or your tribe may be the simplest of all, and that is to develop a strong family narrative. And the researchers go on to tell how family members develop a strong sense of being, a strong sense of self-esteem if they have these strong family narratives. 
we all need to believe that we are bigger than that we are part of something bigger. We are all part of these large stories. And they serve us best when the trials and problems are seen as part of life, but that we ultimately endure and triumph. I really loved this idea that we could have a strong story about ourselves, about our family, about our community, where we ultimately triumph. And I really do believe that stories have a lot of power. In many ways, scriptures are stories, powerful stories, stories about an ultimate triumph and the help and aid of God. I believe that we can gain power for ourselves as we shape our own stories. And I believe that we receive power as we listen uh, to other people's stories. This is actually what Exponent does at its very heart and core, is share Mormon women's stories. The magazine has been in publication since 1974, and its one main mission is to share the stories of Mormon women. And I think that's a really powerful mission, and I believe that many people have been uh, benefited and aided by these stories. And so tonight, I'm going to share with you my story, or part of my spiritual story, the same story that I shared with the Exponent Women last Sunday. I'll start off by sharing a dream that I had when I was seven years old. I remember it very clearly, and I've thought about it many times. I dreamt that I was coming home one night with my family. At the time of the dream, my family consisted of myself and two younger sisters. It was late, and my sisters were asleep, so my parents were carrying them up a staircase to our house. I was walking behind them when I heard someone call my name. I turned around and I saw Jesus at the foot of the stairs. He was all in white looking at me. I knew immediately who it was and I felt this flood of familiarity come over me. I ran down the stairs and threw myself into his arms and he hugged me and he kissed the top of my head and he said, I love you. And I knew that he did love me. I could feel it. And then he held my little face in his hands and he looked into my blue eyes and he said, I love you. And I just felt this through my whole body, love, acceptance, and this intense sense of being known, being known for who I was. It was a really strong feeling um, that I had during the dream and I've remembered it and carried it with me. I guess it was on that day that I became Jesus's girl. Seven years later, I received my patriarchal blessing, and some of those same thoughts were reiterated by the patriarch who gave me the blessing. My blessing says, the Lord loves you more than you can understand or appreciate at this time. I bless you that your understanding of the Lord's love will be one of the most powerful and significant guides in your life. And this really has been a guide in my life as I have grown to know more about the Savior's love. It's been very powerful, and it's been truly a significant guide. I love Christian rock radio. I love to rock out to it in my car. And there are some songs that really express what I think and I feel. And here are some lyrics to a song that's on the radio right now. If I told you my story, you would hear hope that wouldn't let go. You would hear love that never gave up. If I should speak, then let it be 
of the grace that is greater than all my sin, of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in. To tell you my story is to tell of him. So I'd like to share three experiences that tell the story of how Jesus has blessed my life and has changed the story of my life and made it something really beautiful. So experience number one. I grew up in rural Idaho, um, rural Mormon Idaho, shall I say. I was right smack dab in the middle of the bell-shaped curve. My parents were sealed in the temple. We were a family that went to church together, ate meals together, and had family home evening. I was just a Mar- uh, I was just a Mormon farm girl. I used to go out, or I guess I was assigned to go out by my parents and mow the barrow pits that ran in the front of our house and along the side of our property. And for any of you who have ever mowed barrow pits, it is dusty, hot work with lots of rocks flying everywhere. You cannot listen to music. You can't do anything. It's very loud. So all you can do is sort of be absorbed in your own thoughts and talk to yourself and sing to yourself. And I used to wonder, as I used to think, and I mowed these barrel pits, uh, what, where I would go, what I would do, what I would be in my life. But I certainly never dreamed that I would move so far out of the big, fat belly of the bell-shaped curve. But um, I have, and over time, I have moved several standard deviations to the left. Over the years, it seems like I just sort of moved one little piece and then another. And in large part, the reason why I have moved away from the norm is because I do not have a family of my own. I'm now 46, unmarried and childless. So I am out of the bell-shaped curve, Mormon or not. Each shift away from the norm comes with its own amount of pain and readjustment. And my most recent pain and readjustment has come to me as it does to many single women of my age uh, in knowing that I will never have children in this life. Cancer brought me to this end maybe more quickly than most, but either way it was coming and I knew um, that the day would be here, which is that I, I will not have any children. And this is a grief. It has to be faced. It has to be grieved. My friend Julie and I have talked about this many times. Um, and sort of the uniqueness and sort of specialness about this little sort of grief that is known only to a few people. She and I wrote an article together, which is published on the Exponent blog, and you can search it. I think it's called um, The Story of Grief on the Exponent blog from last spring, and it's published under the name of Julie Lefgren. Anyway, I wanted to read a couple paragraphs just to talk about what this feels like. Over the past decade, the slowly growing grief of having no children has become an integral part of my emotional landscape. Unlike the sudden sting of death, my grief spreads out over time. There is no funeral, no grave, no gathered community, and no name. Gradually and by myself, I bury my unborn children. The loss has overwhelmed me at times and has been largely misunderstood even by myself, who carries it. My grief and I watch through a glass as other people name their babies and raise their children. I wonder what it would be like to grow another human inside my body. I try to imagine the sensation of the first kicks and movements. How would it feel to have a small voice call mom or someday grandma? This mountain of grief um, can sometimes be a little daunting, 
And I have to say that you have to really battle for that spark of I am loved, that feeling that I felt in my dream many years ago when I was with Jesus, and I felt very uniquely loved. The grief cannot be replaced by other things or other children. It cannot be washed away by other kinds of mothering. But still, I do have my own path, my own life, and my own story. It looks different from many others, but it is uniquely full. And the Spirit often whispers to me that my unique experiences make me perfectly suited for certain situations. When my teenage nephew nephew lets me know that he is unhappy with his family and he wants to run away, I am uniquely positioned to help him specifically because I am not his mother. When I see a friend crying on the couch at church, I can talk to her about her miscarriage because I also know what it's like to lose something unborn. When I started my own business, and I'm a professional organizer, I have felt the Spirit whisper to me many times that I am uniquely positioned to give energy and time to this work, and that I can help people with my talents. I know that people are weighed down by their stuff. I know that the Spirit is blocked from their lives because of their stuff, and I have a job that helps them, that makes things better, and I have the emotional time and energy to give to it right now because I have that kind of time, Um, and I can do that. And that, I feel because of all those reasons, I feel grateful to know that I am unique, and each person is unique. Each person brings something to the table. I am not a broken girl with no children, but I am a whole girl. I have my own gifts. I have confidence And that's largely because Jesus told me he loves me, just me. My second experience, to begin my second experience, I wanted to quote Tolkien's Lord of the Rings because every good speech should have some Tolkien in it. This quote that I wanted to uh, speak is from Galadriel as she's speaking to Frodo. And she says, I give you the light of Elendil, our brightest star. It will shine still brighter when the night is about you. May it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. There was a period in my life not so long ago when all of the lights went out. A few years ago, I had a tragic falling out with a beloved friend. It sent shockwaves through our mutual friendships and waves of grief through my own heart. At the same time, I was laid off from a job And so I was in the midst of rejection letters as I searched for a new job. I was struggling to find my own worth. um, And I was definitely down the hole of not enough. A few months into this um, hard, difficult time, I was diagnosed with cancer. So I was certainly entering a very dark time. But strangely, even more dark than being treated for cancer was not being treated for cancer. In January of 2013, I finished chemotherapy and I was declared cancer-free. All of my friends who had supported me in so many, many gracious uh, ways, they let out a collective hurrah and then they all went back to their lives. And I was alone. I had no hair. My body was still very weak and I was financially devastated. I felt a heavy darkness come over me. 
because I assumed that I was expected to just get my life back together and be grateful and full of life. The funny thing about light times and dark times is that the reality is opposite of what we might think. When it's bright out there and I can see all the paths around me and the opportunities and things are going well, I often believe that it will be easy to find my way. But the truth is, when all the paths are illuminated, it is hard to see the one way, the way that God might want us to go. When it is dark, however, I look out with my blind eyes and I say, which way, Lord? And it is because it is of the very darkness that I see the dim low light and I can hear the quiet voice that says, there it is. There's your next step. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not be overflow. For I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to you your deepest distress. The other thing that I see brightly in the darkness, the dark times of my life, is the light of other people. There is a beautiful light that burns in each person and it jumps out at us when things are dark. There are those small, simple gifts given. There are small pieces of grace that are offered and you see them when you are in a dark spot. Many of the people at Exponent and those listening to the podcast have been this light for me and I'm truly full of gratitude for the goodness of others and for the Lord for showing me those lights. I am a very grateful girl. My third experience is written in an essay and published in Amy and Emily's second Exponent magazine. You can read the whole essay in the Exponent magazine. It is the fall 2010 issue. And as another little shout out, I'll say this story is also referred to in Matt Bowman and Kate Holbrook's recent book, Mormon or Women in Mormonism. You'll see it in chapter nine, excuse me, you'll see it in chapter 19, written by Amy Evans Hickman and called Narrating Agency. So in this essay that I wrote, I tell about my decision to move from Boston to Salt Lake City. Well, it might not have been my most favorite thing to give up the Red Sox. Um, I did feel really guided to make this move. I felt like I was taking a large uh, leap of faith. And shortly after I arrived in Utah, I met a man. We started dating. And I just knew this was the man I was supposed to marry. And I really felt so happy. And I was so excited. And I believed that my faith and obedience were being rewarded with this desire of my heart. I felt it was proof that I could trust in God. So I'll read to you a piece of the essay. I believe this answer was proof that I could trust in God completely, but then things changed. Tom decided to leave that relationship, and when he walked away, my heart broke, and so did my trust in God. I was knocked off my spiritual feet. I didn't know what to do or how to approach the Lord. No words would come when I got on my knees, only tears and bewilderment. In frustration, my prayers became demanding and threatening. I wanted an explanation for my suffering. Why was I denied an understanding when I had followed the Lord? 
How had I misread the inspirations of heaven? For months, the heavens seemed silent and my frustration remained. Then slowly I began to believe again that the feelings, in the feelings of faith in Christ, that they could still come in uncertain times. A piece of my rebuilding came from the words of a poem written about pioneer ancestors. This is, poem is published in July 2002, Enzyme. It's called A Journey's End. Thirteen times we crossed the plat, and how we pleaded the waters would part. Now we kneel here on the sand, grateful for every unanswered plea that proved us. Faith is the mountain that does not flee, the water that does not part, and our faith, wrung drop by drop, blossoms, red as the promised rose. Though my heartache seemed pale in comparison to those experienced by my pioneer ancestors, their determination inspired me. In my mind, I seemed to hear them say, We too believed in God's commandments. We too obeyed him. We too prayed for relief from our trials. We too struggled to comprehend why we had to endure so much. We too were unsure of our answers. Then my essay goes on to say, For me, this message was motivating in moving forward and trusting in God's goodness again. I was comforted knowing that I was not the only one who searched for meaning and answers in the dreariness of mortality. Spiritual learning comes for me at different points and in different layers. With this experience, I understood that some answers come when I do study and pray, when I'm more focused and committed to that, and some answers do not come at all. Most importantly, I have more focused faith. Most importantly, I have come to focus my faith more securely on God alone and that genuine goodness and love rather than believing in heaven's blessings, rather than believing that those blessings are proof of love or a reward for my faithfulness. If my faithfulness brings me anything, it is a greater sense of who God is and who I am and a, deep, and a deeper relationship with God, which is its own reward. So I'll say again, if there is a reward for prayers, obedience, and good deeds, it is knowing the Savior and having a relationship with him. One of the reasons I have chosen to stay an active part of the Mormon faith is that I feel that this faith has given me a vehicle to bring me to know the Savior. Joanna Brooks has often said that Mormonism is her mother tongue. It is the mother tongue of the language of faith. And I feel the same way. Mormonism has constructed me a path through scriptures and ritual and covenants and prayers, and this path works for me. Sure, it's broken in some places, but it is a vehicle that allows me to journey towards the Savior, because we are certainly in a tricky spot between Jesus and religion. But this is a vehicle that, for me, takes me there. I do have to do some reframing. But it is work I'm willing to do because these covenants matter to me. The scriptures matter. These prayers and rituals matter. And they take me to the Savior. And that's where I want to be. 
Through all these experiences, I have been able to rethink my story. Going back to Heather Sundahl's talk, which I spoke of in the beginning, she tells us that if we rethink our story and own it, we can retell it in powerful ways. By rethinking my story, I can live through these trials and ultimately see myself as triumphant, especially when I have the Savior at my side. Owning my story, retelling my story has allowed me to navigate some troubled waters of being authentic and following God and also sticking with Mormonism. This means supporting, as I do, ordaining women, loving my queer brothers and sisters, and hoping for a more expansive idea of what family means because I'm a single member, and doing all of this while I continue to serve in my family ward, while I continue to talk to church leaders, while I continue to attend the temple, something that's very meaningful to me. Like many of you, I have grappled with the church's decision to put out the policy last November. I let my temple recommend lapse for the first time in two decades as I thought about this and struggled with this. I prayed a lot about what to do about my affiliation with the church, and I got a quiet answer in my mind that said, stay. I pushed back on this answer and said, Lord, you ask too much. How can I live with myself and be a part of this? There's too much pain. There are too many wounds. How can I support this person or that person? And then I started wondering about different people. And I thought, should this person stay? Should that person stay? And again, I heard the Lord speak to me in my mind and said, I'm not talking to this person or that person. I'm talking to you. So stay, and you'll find the answers in the language you know. And so I've stayed, and I feel like it's been a good thing for my life. Last year, Margaret Olson, Olson Hemming um, gave her spiritual biography at the Exponent Retreat, and she said something that really struck me. I'll quote from her talk. I've come to hate the phrase, true blue Mormon. This is the phrase that many people use to describe what I call McConkieite Mormons. Because I am a true blue Mormon, and no one gets to assert that they are more Mormon than me. And I am a feminist, and no one gets to tell me that I'm not a real feminist. And if I'm living both identities, then no one gets to tell me that it's not possible to do both. So I say amen to Sister Margaret, because I want to claim both spaces, both my Mormonism and my feminism. Certainly no one is as Mormon as I am. I mean, I cry over Trek stories, even when I know I'm being emotionally manipulated. I hear about the women's pull and then marching up that hill, and I'm just bawling my eyes out because it strikes this Mormon chord in me. But I also love my exponent sisters. I love to read these new ideas. I love to expand the ideas of doctrine. I love to look at the gospel in different ways, sometimes controversial, right? controversial ways. So I guess I will say that I am a Mormon girl, and I am an exponent girl. And I want to be both. And I will conclude my remarks by going back to the Savior and singing a bit of praise. My noonday walks he will attend, and all my silent midnight hours defend. Through the valley and shadow of death, though I stray, 
since thou art my guardian, no evil I fear. Thy rod shall defend me, thy staff be my stay. No harm can befall with my comforter near. I know that sometimes there are no words for the pain and the heartache and the disappointment and the shame, but I've come to know and believe that there are also no words for the grace and for the glory. Savior, Redeemer of my soul, whose mighty hand hath made me whole, whose wondrous power has lifted me up and filled with sweet my bitter cup. I'll quote from the words of prophet Wilford Woodruff. Women should write down the things which God hath made known to them, the testimony of the goodness of God and the things he hath wrought in our lives and in the lives of women will always be important. So I will say that I am God's girl and this is my story. 